Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. My friend, the most beautiful man in the world, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover <laughs> and explore what it means to be truly known. Dude, like if this Kurt. is the third episode, this is the third episode and I haven't yes. said anything and I have to, I, I don't want this to leave, you know, we, we talked about consciousness, we talked about presence, the wisdom of presence yeah. and the presence of wisdom. Yeah. And right. I don't want I don't want that reality of who I'm working with to leave the presence and awareness of our audience. So I thought I just, I would thought just... we were I just thought we also talked about growth and maybe we went, we went beyond <laughs> your shenanigans. <laughs> I look. We said that wisdom isn't a thing that we just we, we don't acquire it. I mean, I mean right. we don't like it's not like a benchmark that like now I'm wise. It's like uh -huh. so I, I acknowledge. I acknowledge that there are some areas of my life in which I may never be wise. And if this happens to be one of them, this particular dynamic, I will not be sorry. I will be saying this in the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus might be rolling his eyes at me. And I'm like, no, no, look, look at what you made. Look at, look at him. Look at him right yeah, there. My, my mother would say, oh yeah, Kurt's wise. He's a wise acre. Call you a wise acre, which you know what that means. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way of saying something else. It is a nice way of saying something else. That's so this right. is, and, and it's not, and it's not wise hectare either. <laughs> no, it's not. This is the being known podcast, and we are in season six of right the on. being known podcast. And episode three is the wisdom of the body. Kurt, how can the body be wise? Enlighten us. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. First of all, just a word about like what we like to talk about that we do in in this this work of being known, uh, especially as it applies to neuroscience and spiritual formation. Uh, that we we talk about like this what I call a multilingual approach to life, meaning that in some moments we're talking, we're using the language of science. We're talking about the brain, neurons. And talking about attachment, those kind of, that kind of neuroscientific stuff. Sometimes we're using the language of the biblical narrative. We're using the language of scripture. And in, in all of this, we're saying that those are different dialects, if you will, of talking about this same reality that we live in the world that our, that, that the God of the Bible has created and he's created us as stewards and as his image bearers to be God in the world to create beauty and goodness in it. And the way that we, you know, the launch place for that is our process of being known. We are known by each other in this different way, but it requires when, when we use these different dialects, you'll, you'll hear us talking in these episodes, one moment using words that have to do with neuroscience, another moment using words that have to do with the book of Genesis. Another moment we're talking about our friendship and all of this requires our willingness to stretch our imaginations. We, we have to work at keeping track of these things. We have to work at kind of saying, oh, I'm moving from one dialect to another dialect, but saying the same thing. But because we're using different dialects, it actually expands our capacity to appreciate and then to live into these realities that we're talking about, to live into wisdom means that I can take language from neuroscience, I can take language from the Bible, I can take language from our relationship, and we can become, like the whole becomes more than the sum of its parts. Mm. But that takes work. It's not unlike, you know, 
a, 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 you know, a, an orchestra conductor who's taking the different sections of the orchestra and they hit, you know, she or he has to listen to them all simultaneously moving from the whole back to the parts, back to the whole, back to the parts. This is just exactly what the Bible asks us to do when we read the Bible. We're trying to keep track of different parts of this story that are over and over again, reinterpreting other parts of that story. It's not just a one linear track story that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. No, we are, you know, we are frequently going back to, you know, Genesis 4. Why? Like, why wasn't Cain's sacrifice acceptable to God? Like, there's the, the writers don't give us that answer for the very specific reason that it forces us to continue to come back and be curious about that, just like there are parts of our own stories that we continually go back to because we don't feel like we have the answer. But I'm, what we're saying is that that very process, that kind of work is the fundamental nature of the kind of work by which wisdom is acquired, by which we become people of wisdom. And that we begin with what we talked about in our last episode, that at the very beginning, wisdom is this hovering presence that is doing the work of creating order and then giving that order, giving that order purpose uh, in the middle of chaos. And so as we continue in this series on wisdom, we're starting with consciousness, we're starting with awareness, we're starting with presence. And we're also being reminded when we talk about the language of the Bible, that that Bible is, it's a God human enterprise, just like we are. It is ancient, just like we have ancient parts of our stories. It is Jewish. It is particular to a particular culture, just like our stories are particular to us. It is messianic in its nature. The Bible is messianic. It's a unified story that leads to Jesus. This is the language of the Bible project, folks. And being messianic means that wisdom is ultimately about our relationship with Jesus. It's our relationship with a particular person. And it is meditative. Again, that process of going over and over and over things that we thought we were done with. Oh, no. God's going to continue to use this to shape us ever, ever more deeply into the eternal beings that he longs for us to be. We become wise in this way by what we do with scriptures, but also wise in the process whereby which we are telling our stories over and over and over and over again with each other, and that it's literature. It's artistic in that sense. Literature is a piece of artwork, and just in the same way that we are becoming these artistic expressions of beauty and goodness in the world as we are being known more deeply by each other. And today we're starting, are we, we are going to move from this notion of, of wisdom as being present. We first have to be present. That wisdom then begins to direct its attention to the body. And we want to talk a little bit today about what, first of all, the body actually means, and then to talk about what it's actually telling us? What does it mean? What does it tell us? What it means then is that we begin once again, we begin at the beginning. And with the Bible, last episode, we were on page one. Now we're on page two. And page two of the Bible is kind of a blow up of what happens at the end of page one, verses 26 through 28 of chapter one, in that we said that we were image bearers of God in all ways. Most of the time when we think about being an image of God, we often think, well, what, is, what does that mean? That, that means that, oh, I, I'm, I'm like God because I think like God thinks. I can, I can, because, you know, a beaver doesn't think like I think. It's true. 
But it also, however, means that I am embodied. What does it mean to be embodied? Because we would say that after Genesis 1, after, after when, when God creates, after Genesis chapter 1, it is rare that God does anything in the world, in the biblical story, apart from human beings. Rarely does God act on his own. Moses and the children of Israel, God has a, why didn't God just go to Egypt himself and somehow like just blow everybody away? Why doesn't God come and form a kingdom of Israel like through, like why is it David? Why doesn't God just come and let people know about forgiveness and justification? No, like it's always going to be done through humans because we are his representatives. And once again, we are beginning at the beginning. And for us humans, that beginning is with our bodies. And we then turn then to the second page of the Bible, verse 7 of the second chapter, where we read that God formed the man out of the dust of the earth. And we've, we've talked about this in previous episodes, that we are mud, we are dirt, and we are breath. We're dirt and we are breath. And both of those things are true. We are embodied humans, and we are God-breathed. Once again, we are God-human entities in the world. And it's not as if one is more important than the other, but what is important is the sequence. There is a significance to the sequence with which we were put together. It's not hierarchical, like the body is more important than the spirit or vice versa, but there is a sense in which we do begin with mud. God starts with forming us as embodied people. And that, as it turns out, is the way our brains then typically work. First, we sense things in our bodies, and then we make sense of what we're sensing. We've talked about that before, that for us to acquire and become people of wisdom, we must pay attention to the fact that our bodies are the first things that are talking to us, trying to get messages to us. And so some more about like what the body means. When we get to Genesis 2.15, right? Genesis 2.7, the man formed the man out of the dust of the earth. We begin with mud. We get to 2.15, we see that the Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden. Notice that we weren't, the man wasn't formed in the garden. The man was formed outside of the garden. He's formed outside in this wilderness, chaotic place. In the land, right, we have utter chaos in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and sequentially becomes less and less and less chaotic, more and more purposed. We separate water from land, and then the trees, and the animals, and all pops up, and then what, and the, but outside the garden, God forms the man, and then he takes the man and places him in the garden. He put his body in the garden, not just his spirit not just what he feels. And this is just a word real quickly here about why it's important for us as we're talking about wisdom. We live in an age, uh, there's a um, kind of a, a, a phrase that's making its way through culture and philosophy and so forth. And then the phrase is expressive individualism. And what this phrase is referring to is the sense that, it, and it all began with a French philosopher, Rousseau, back in the late 1600s. He was the first guy to really say, look, who I really am, this is following Descartes, who when Descartes said, I think, therefore I am, 
Descartes kind of said, basically, therefore, like who I ultimately really am is I'm a thinking being. And so therefore, the, my capacity to have consciousness and think is what ultimately is the essence and the deepest part of what makes me really real. We can see where this is already starting to tilt things in a direction like that my body is now not as important as the fact that I can think. And Rousseau took that even further and said, in fact, what I feel, what I want, what I want by my inner emotional life, in fact, is the most important part of what I think. And culture does me a disservice by not letting me live into all that I feel. And he was this very brilliant guy, no matter that he sent every single one of his, I don't know, four or five children, as soon as they were born away to an orphanage because he didn't want to raise them. Like, okay, so, this, so that's a little weird. A little bit. I mean, there's so you've got this. Times, there's times in their children's lives where you wouldn't mind doing that, but you would never right, really and, act and, on and, and right where they probably should be. <laughs> okay, this is not official, ladies and no. gentlemen. This is not official. no, no, no. Not. no. But like, you, we see that he's actually living out what he's thinking. Like, I don't feel like raising children, right? So I shouldn't have to like right. embodied. So I send them away, right? The, the thing that like the body isn't really all that important. And then you go down the line philosophically, Marx and Nietzsche, and then you get to Freud, who says, well, in fact, the most important of the feelings that represents my thinking being is that of my sexual drive. And so you move from Descartes to Rousseau to Freud, and you now have a culture that basically, and if we look around politically and so forth, and this is, this is not the topic for this episode, but the sense that like, who I am, what I feel myself to be, apart from my body, is that which grants authority to everything. Which, of course, is okay, except it's problematic if, you know, someone punches you in the nose and they say, well, I felt like it. We see where these problems come, but but the issue is that we then we we then turn our bodies into things like um, like my coffee mug. I can do with my mug what I want to do. My mug is separate from me. I own the mug. I can do with my mug what I want. Now this is you know, there are lots of other reasons for this culturally and technologically and so forth that are enabled. It's not just because of a bunch of philosophers. We've all there are lots of forces that are in play with this, but. When we go back to the second page of the Bible, we see that it's the Lord God that put the man in the garden. Our self, who I am, first of all, is not just, if you, if you read the Bible, the Bible would suggest that actually who you are is mud and breath. And that thing of mud and breath actually isn't something that you own. It is a gift. We steward it. It's not something we own. The Lord God put the man. And, you know, um, this brings us right to what happened Four days ago, boy, I, I just that's I just I, I still I get choked. Yeah. So um, you live in Cincinnati. Tell us what happened. I do. Well, we were anticipating a big game here in the town of Cincinnati as we were getting ready to play the Buffalo Bills, and you know, for us here in the family, it was really just kind of setting up to be a real fun night. Um, started off with me and my daughter Hannah, and then. Nell and my daughter Hope were going to be joining us a little bit later. 
and we set up the game and we were all excited and game starts and it's going really well for us as far as the the home team is concerned and about five minutes and some odd seconds into the game one of our wide receivers t higgins catches the ball up the middle of the field and he is tackled and the man that tackles him um Lamar Hamlin stands up. Yep. And he stands up and immediately collapses on the field. Mm-hmm. And then there proceeded to be, you know, it was going on and on. It was two minutes. It was three minutes. It was like the, his teammates were surrounded him. And then there's an ambulance on the field and we're not really being told quite what's going on. And the stadium was in a, a state of just hush, Hmm. you know, 40,000 people just completely silent because there was something really going on with this guy's body. Hmm. Um, Hmm. And Hmm. it turns out he went into cardiac arrest and they were performing CPR on him on the field, Hmm. eventually getting him into the ambulance on oxygen Hmm. uh, as he was being put into the ambulance. Hmm. And immediately took him to the trauma one center at the university of Cincinnati and back at the field, we saw these Mm. powerful athletes Mm. um, Mm. just coming apart emotionally, Mm. Mm. trying to decide what comes next. And when something like this happens to their friend, their brother, people in, you know, feeling the trauma of it and the shock, and you know they 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 started by postponing the game i think the word may have been suspending postponing Hmm. and then they said we're going to play in five minutes we're going to warm up for Hmm. five minutes and we're going to play and the coach of the buffalo bills and the coach of the since zach taylor and i can't think of the buffalo bills coach's name they get together Hmm. and the coach of the buffalo bills says i I need to be with my player at the hospital right now. Mm, mm, mm. I can't coach a game. Mm, mm. And his players certainly couldn't. And both teams were just in shock and feeling like they couldn't go on and playing this game was not the right thing to do. They made that decision on the field, by the way. The NFL office didn't make that decision, Mm, mm. which was a risk in itself for these guys. Teams, the opposing teams were together and supporting one another. Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati Bengals, led all of his captains into the other locker room. Prayers on the field. Members of the the, the, the fans at the stadium immediately left and went outside the University of Cincinnati Hospital and had a prayer vigil, hmm. like the opposing team praying for him. Hmm. Ever since this happened, the the lights all over downtown Cincinnati have been blue and red mm-hmm. in the Buffalo Bills color. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of solidarity. Mm-hmm. There's been some good news on his health as the, as we're hearing this, hopefully it's great news. Mm-hmm. Um, but as of this recording, he's no longer uh, unconscious. He's, he's communicating. His first question was who won the game. <laughs> and it's been, it's been something like we've never seen before. And I was sharing with you earlier, there's actually, I feel like there's been some moments of, of beauty mm-hmm. that have come out of this. And I, and I really only feel comfortable saying that at this point in time, knowing that he is improving, 
Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, one thing in particular is is uh, the the quarterback of the Bengals, Joe Burrow. They were ta- they were commenting on this amazing speech that he made. But really, what he did was told all of his players that he loved them, mm-hmm. and expressed his emotion about them. Mm-hmm. And something that's probably not, you know, not done too much in in that environment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's had big impact beyond um, what happened on the field. Right. So. Yeah, that's kind of the recap. Right. That's just a that's just a powerful story. And it is a swift and inarguable commentary on the place of the body in who we are. We're not given CPR to his spirit. We're not asking him what he feels. Mm. They got to save Demar Hamlin's body. Yeah, because that's every that's because that's every bit as much of who he is. But we live in a world that actively, albeit often not consciously works to separate us from that reality by training us to believe that what I feel is the ultimate authority and ultimately the most important thing without being aware of the role that the Bible in that story, in that second page, there is a sequence and there is a significance to our bodies. And the other thing that we then see, if you keep reading on that page, gosh, that's just that's just such a powerful story. I'm, I'm like, mm. I mean, I think we just stop there and pause and just we'll, we'll come back to our episode <laughs> at another time. But like your story reflects something else. And that is that we, 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 we go on, you know, you, you, you run from that Genesis 2, 7 and then Genesis 2, 15, that the body doesn't belong to us, that God put the man's body in the garden. Then you get to 218 where God says, you know, I'm looking around. It's not good for the man to be alone. He needs a partner. And he makes all these animals. The animals don't really do him justice. And so he creates another. He takes out of Adam, takes a rib, that whole surgical procedure, and then brings another to him that is different. In many respects, the same, and in many respects, completely, utterly, unlike him. And what that tells us is that my body is actually not just significant, but it is significant because I am in relationship to other people's bodies. I only know that I'm a male because there are females in the world. My body has significance because like everything else, let us make mankind in our image. We, males and females together, are imaging God. We are being God together to the world. And so we recognize myself, I recognize myself only in relationship to others and not just in relationship to what you feel, but to your body, to you as a male, to Amy as a female, to our spouses, to our children, in all these different ways. We belong then to each other and we recognize ourselves as we belong to others who are different than us by virtue of their bodies. It's like... You know, there are lots of things about human beings that are the same. Like you walk into a room and there's, 
you know, you're, you know, you're three of your, three of your buddies, let's say they're all men. They all have two arms, two legs, all these things. But at some point you start to differentiate because of other particular things about their bodies. Long before any of them speak to you, you recognize yourself in relationship to other because of the material world that exists that is unassailable, it is undeniable, it is inarguable. And that is crucially significant. So, Kurt, do you remember when you were at Hope Hills Camp and they had the thing with the white pom-poms? Dude, oh my gosh. You know, the all of the volunteers line up. They, they line the side of the road, both sides of the road. And for every family that comes in, there's all this cheering, waving of pom-poms, signs, balloons, you name it. It's, I mean, the, the, the kids that are coming in have never really had anything like this. You know, to me, that's just a picture of being seen and and allowing them to feel known in that moment. Yeah. I want to share a story about how this impacted one dad. It's, he he wrote this into Hope Hills Camp after just after attending the Hope Hills Camp. We have a five-year-old nonverbal son on the autism spectrum. In the world of disability, it's the little things that are the big things. The coffee was awesome. The community and stories you're, that you're helping to bring together are so, so needed. But it was the line of volunteers with white pom-poms that has gotten me choked up about a half a dozen times in the last couple hours. Hmm. My sweet baby boy is five. He is the joy of our lives. And he has never been invited to a birthday party. Hmm. He has never kicked a soccer ball the wrong way on the field and been cheered for it. We have barely even had birthday parties for him the last couple of years. But a line of strangers with pom-poms tonight, it took everything in me to hold it together. All I could do was look down at him as we walked through that line and try to avoid being a sobbing mess. For the rest of my life, it will be a moment I treasure. You know, Pep, that's just an amazingly beautiful story. And if you didn't know it already, Hope Heals Camp is a week-long retreat and year-round community offering rest, resources, and relationships to families experiencing disability. And we're very excited to be sponsoring five families to camp this summer. With your help, your tax-deductible donation will go directly to scholarshiping these families. So you can click the link in the show notes or go to Hope Heals dot com forward slash BKP. That's H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash BKP and donate. Any amount is helpful. And together we can help make a big difference. Now, when, when you read this section of verses 18 to 25, we're not here to talk about verse 24. that has to do with the man and his wife and leaving and becoming one flesh. We're not here to talk about that today. That's a perhaps a whole other podcast series in and of itself. But verse 25 has huge implications for this because it tells us that the man and his wife were naked and unashamed. And we're going to return to that, this notion that I acquire wisdom by paying attention to the body most powerfully when shame 
is not in the mix. But when it is, as we'll soon see, things become more challenging. And so then we also see that there is wisdom in the body. Again, what is the body? The body is an avenue. It is a, it is a delivery system of wisdom. We become wise as we pay attention to the body. And there's this progression. We want to just say that the progression of the use and implication of this word body, right? There's the presence of God. First of all, it's hovering. And this, then God wants, you know, makes people, we're, we're going to be God's body in the world. Adam and Eve don't do such a great job. Cain and Abel don't do such a great job. All the way up to Noah, people are not doing a great job being God bodies in the world. And then he comes to Abraham and says, like, well, I'm going to have a whole collection of bodies in this family. And they set out, they don't do such a great job. And then we get to Jesus eventually, and he comes into the world. He's like God with us, right? This is Emmanuel. This is John chapter one. God is now going to be the God man body with us. And then he gets to Genesis, and then he gets to John two, where he says, if you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it. Where he's already hinting that his body, once again, the body of Jesus is then going to extend to become his body in the world through the people who are his disciples. And he gets to John 12. You, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you, with your bodies, love one another. Eventually, the way the Jews and the Gentiles love one another. People who know that they're different because of their bodies and what they do with their bodies and what they don't do and so forth and so on. And then you go from there to 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, this notion that the body of Christ that Paul writes about, that we that 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 metaphor, the body, is not just a matter of metaphor. He uses it because we are embodied, and that goes back to the beginning. And the culmination of all that, that if you are faithful, you will become like a pillar in the temple of my God. We are embodied temples of God. And all of this is reflected in this language of neuroscience when we talk about these different bodies that we have, right? We have these different parts of the mind that we sense and image and feel and think, these different functions that come together in an integrated whole in the same way then that you and I and Amy come together as an integrated whole. We are reflecting what's going on in our minds, that this we become the body of wisdom that is God's representation on the earth. And the body plays such a crucial role in that. That's what the body is. So it's not, it, it is my body, your body, and it is also our being a body. We both acquire through our bodies wisdom, and we express and become living, breathing wisdom through our bodies in the earth in order for us to steward what God has given us to steward. We would say then that what happened to DeMar Hamlin on that football field yeah. was God's body coming for one of its own. You don't get that kind of outpouring without the whole thing being a reminder of how fragile we are, of how we long for someone to come and help us do what we can't do on our own. Mm. And we need somebody to come in the body. We can't have somebody speaking from miles away from the earth and saying, yeah, y'all, we all just will fix it from out here. Like we need a Jesus who shows up to give us CPR in like real flesh in a way that tells us that God's not messing around. He's serious about us. He's serious about what he started. 
then we learn. What does the body tell us? Get a sense of what the body means by what we've been talking about. What does the body tell us in terms of wisdom? First of all, just that whole notion of our, we said at the top of our time, about being multilingual, these different dialects. You see, first of all, that the body tells us multiple different things. It tells us what I sense, what I image, what I feel, what I think, and then what I want to do with my body. All the messages that we send to ourselves and to each other through my body, long before my language comes out of my mouth. We've talked before about the seven nonverbal cues, my eye contact, facial expression, tone of voice, my body language, my motions, my gestures, and my timing and intensity of response. We talked about the tripod of awareness. So we talked about that in our last episode, like I'm aware of like my presence in the room. So many of us would be hard pressed to be convinced that our presence actually matters. Mm. I would say men are even more hard pressed than women in my experience. Mm to believe that unless they're fixing something, unless they're solving a problem, the whole notion that a father's very presence in the room being attuned to his children, listening to them, being curious about them with his body, like that that actually matters to those children is often lost on dads because those dads have not had the experience of someone else coming for them, giving them the experience of knowing that their presence matters in the room. And then we have this notion that the body serves as a, like, as, as a kind of a receptacle of memory for us, that we remember things through our body. I walk into a room and I see a certain person and I feel something in my chest and I start to behave in a certain way. And my wife turns to me and is like, like, uh, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't, what are you talking about? Like, I'm like, my body is doing things. It's remember. Well, you know, you're an athlete, an athlete calls it muscle memory, right? Like, when you, yeah. you practice something over and over again, you know, you're, you're doing things almost unconsciously because your body remembers how to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, and the same thing can happen, interestingly enough, very powerfully, like when a catcher gets the yips. Right. If, you know, for those of us who, I don't know how many of us of our listeners are familiar with baseball. But yep. you have these stories of these major league, it often happens to catchers, it, it happens yep. to anybody, but they, something happens, you, you can have a moment where you misthrow a ball back, you know, someplace, and you suddenly, the fact that you're 30 years old, have been playing major league baseball for eight years, you're paid- Doing the same years, movements over and over and over again. Over again, right? and, like, and you can't throw the ball 60 feet back to the pitcher. Because certain traumatic events can do this to us. And this is where the third page of the Bible comes into play. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That life and the acquisition of wisdom is a series of choices between God's wisdom and me being in charge. And those choices are eventually mediated through the body and the material world. Not just in my head, not just what I'm thinking. You know, um, how many of us have been in experiences in which we, um, somebody hurts our feelings 
by virtue of what they say, like with their bodies, right? With their tongue. They, like, they, that's what happens in the material world. And they hurt our feelings badly. And then they say, yeah, but I didn't mean to. I did, but that, that was not my intention. You know, to which I point out, yeah, it wasn't the intention of the person who was driving in an alcoholic blackout when he ran over the pedestrian in the crosswalk to say like, yeah, it wasn't, I, that's not what I meant. But what happens in the material world, the impact is just as significant as whatever your thinking, feeling person is. And this is what happens in the garden on the third page of the Bible. The bodies began to speak and began to move away from the wisdom of God, began to move away from trusting God. And of course, this is in response to being wounded, right? This snake comes in and starts to have this conversation and then all kinds of things start to happen with the body, right? She, like something that Adam didn't do, like he did not move with his body to remove the snake from the garden. The woman took the fruit, she gave it to her husband, the husband ate, and then they start, they cover themselves, right? They don't just say, they don't just feel things. They do things with their bodies. Their bodies, in fact, are the mechanism by which those feelings come to light. Their body is moving away from wisdom. Their body is choosing to protect. Their body is choosing not to trust God. It expands the amount of shame that's now growing in the garden, leading to disintegrated states, more violence, hiding, isolation, protection. And instead of being generous, we take, we hoard, we clutch, I lust versus that spirit of generosity and surrender and giving. And so what are we to do? We live in a world in which our bodies are caught between the reality that they've been made to be conduits of God's wisdom, conduits of God's kindness and generosity. They are as important as anything that I feel or I think. How do I do this? And well, one of the things that the Bible also demonstrates for us is the person of Jesus. In the first chapter of John, we get that God comes and he's like, look, I want to be, I want humans to be me in the world. And so um, with all the, my attempt, I'm, I'm going to now be a human in order to be me. And here's how a human would really be me if he were going to be me. So the word became flesh in John 1. We get to John 2 and the word does a number of other things. The word lives out justly, right? He clears out the temple. He names it. My body is going to be beyond just physicality of this building. It's me and my body, and my body is then going to be extended to other bodies. But he doesn't just do that in John 2. In John 2, he also does this rather strange thing by turning water into a wine at a wedding. The material world is important to God. He's going to live an embodied life, demonstrating that when God comes, God lives in the world. God doesn't just show up and then steps back and lives apart from us. He wades right into our fears our travails, our longings, our worries, everything. We get to John 6, the feeding of the 5,000, and at the end of that, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, of course, which is just weird. Once again, he is naming the importance of the body. Unless you are going to live like I live in the material with your body, wisdom is not something that you're going to be able to have. 
we get to Mark chapter 10 and his interact, Jesus interaction with the rich young ruler. And we see that like no other synoptic gospel that tells this story, we've talked about this perhaps before, that when Jesus looked at him and loved him, the lawyer missed the look. The rich young man missed the look. Long before Jesus' words, he was looking for, with his body. We get to John 20, and now Jesus, after the resurrection, is moving through walls. As C.S. Lewis so brilliantly describes in Mere Christianity, he talks about this notion that things that are even, things that are really, really solid can move through things that are liquid, like we can move through a body of water. We can put our hands in a pail of water because the water is liquid. But what if, to be even more solid like Jesus, you can now move through the things that we think already are? That's what it means for Jesus to move through those kind of salt because he comes through, but he doesn't just come perfectly, right? He comes with his wounds and he exposes these to Thomas. And it's the testimony that the wounds and our fragility of our embodied selves are the source of wisdom. As oddly as that might seem, we read on in this literature, this wisdom literature, and we get to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 where we talk about the body of love. And love is never, ever only some abstract thing. It's only ever embodied. It's an adverb. It's loving acts. It's not just this noun. It's only given and received via bodies. This whole notion that when we read in Exodus chapter 3, going back to that, the very beginning when God says, I am that I am, I am who I am. If you think like, well, well, Kurt or Pepper, Amy, like, well, yeah, you're kind, you're, you're this, you're that, all these things. And I would say like, yeah, I think I'm kind, but like, I'm not kind all the time. Right. I know that about you. It's an attribute of, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going someplace with this. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm like that, but not all the time. Like, it's not, it's not my core. It's an attribute, but it's not. For God, I am that I am. Like, when you think of kindness, like, that's what he is. Like, like it, he is living, breathing kindness. It's not an attribute of him. Mm. But it's embodied in Jesus. Becoming wisdom is to pay attention to the body. One of the artistic things that we think about, I was thinking about this uh, um, this whole thing about when we, um, our example today is, I think about Michelangelo's sculpture of David that's in Florence. I've never seen it in person but I've learned some things about it. And, you know, it's, it's got these disproportionate features that enable you to pay attention to things from a distance. Like his arms and hands are disproportionately large to the rest of his body. And so forth. And the body is actually quite tall compared to what we might think uh, a normal body is. His head's large for his frame and all the things. And, you know, from an artist standpoint, people got, I'm sure could talk forever in a day about it. But one thing that really stands out to me that I've learned recently is that um, it has become apparent that the sculpture is not going to be able to last forever. Because if you look at the sculpture, the weight of the sculpture all sits on the right leg. Hmm. And I forget how many thousand pounds this thing weighs, but uh, you know the, the people who are curating it and paying attention to it are recognizing the micro-fractures and they've already apparently taken some pains to shore it up. But the word on the street, as I understand it, is there will come a time when it will not be able to stand, quite literally. Mm. And I would invite our listeners to go take a look at this and to read up on this and to remember that even though it's a beautiful thing and communicates so much, 
it's also quite fragile, just like Damar Hamlin. And when we, I remember when I first learned about this, this reality about, about the, the micro fractures that are taking place and growing in that, in the, in the lower left leg of, of David, I'm like, no, just like those players were on Monday night. To which Jesus says at Lazarus tomb, come out. that our bodies, because they are so important and because they are crucial for the acquisition and the giving of wisdom in the world, are not going to be left to decay. Mm. The new heaven and new earth says to Damar Hamlin, as fragile as your heart is, in the world that Jesus is bringing, that's not something you're going to have to worry about. And for our listeners, I want us to recognize that your body is wisdom by being God's presence in the world. And it itself and the bodies of others are speaking to who we are as significantly and even in some respects with more authority than my inner feelings and that's crucially important when it comes to the healing of trauma, which we'll eventually get to. Hmm. Just leave us with one little application, and that is that uh, Genesis 2-7, we are dirt and we are breath. The man, God formed the man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I want us to meditate on that. What do we imagine? What does it evoke in us? How does that enable us to feel comfort? How does that enable us to feel distress? Let that speak to us this week, meditating on that verse over and over again in relationship to what we've talked about. I know back in season three, we also offered folks the body scan, and uh, you'll also be able to find it on my website, but we, I think we can get it up on our website too. There is this uh, practice of paying attention to what our bodies are telling us and telling the world, because it's really important, because that's where so much wisdom abides, and so give us an opportunity to do that exercise as well as we... Uh, wrap up our time yeah thank you Kurt it's uh, such a such a great episode and the importance of the body and you know I'm left with the message of God just really he wants us to be a part of the story yeah he wants us to be a part of the story yeah or right he on. would do it all himself right yeah right on yeah. thank you I love you but I'm in. Love you too. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.